Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, a good Friday morning to you. Welcome to Off the Bench. I'm Trace Fowler, and this is presented by United Dairy Farmers. Uh, We come your way every single day from 10 to 12. I'm going to stay on script today, boys. You know, when things are uh, when things are getting a little shaky, what you do is you just go right back to the basics. You go right back to plan A. You can watch this show, and by watch this show, I mean listen in podcast form on all the podcast platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, my preferred choice. No free ads, but I do think that's the best streaming service. If you're not on there, you should give it a shot. Spotify. That's near nor there. And uh, Tom Brenneman, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that we have some good news. I think Tom Brenneman uh, may make an appearance perhaps next week. We will see. Um, so cross your fingers, and we'll see if Tom can make it back in the studio, and no one will be more thankful than that than I. No one will be more thankful than that than I, especially when the Reds play on the West Coast. Uh, this is not what I thought I signed up for, but here I am. Largely because the Reds lost a heartbreaker last night. And not only do you have to swallow in the pity of of what you watched last night and do a show, you turn around and you got to do it again. For those that didn't stay up, the Reds lose 3-2. And uh, saying it's the most disappointing loss of the season is a strong statement, but I'm going to tell you right now it was up there. And it was because a combination of things. The first thing was the Diamondbacks legitimately tried to give the game away. Tried to give the game away. They had the bases loaded against Buck Farmer with nobody out. Nobody out. And Jace Peterson rips a ball off the base of the wall. One hops the wall. Will Benson wasn't able to get it. He turns around, fires it in, and lo and behold, what do we have? Jace Peterson rounds first base somehow, some way, with the bases loaded and the ball bouncing off the wall. The Diamondbacks decided to only advance one single base. Gabriel Marrero, who was at second base, you'd likely think that he's probably going to round third and score easily, did not. Peterson rounds first, going to what he thought was an easy double, and the Reds had a little bit of a situation on their hands. Marrero made a bad decision, decided that he was going to panic and really basically just run home. He gets thrown out at the plate. Next thing you know... The Diamondbacks are looking at themselves with only one run scored, two guys on with one out. Buck Farmer escapes the inning with only one run, and the Reds are down one to nothing. But it doesn't stop there. No, it doesn't stop there. Because in the top of the eighth, the linchpin of the Cincinnati Reds would come through again, and you know who I'm talking about, Nick Senzel. A guy that you knew right before the game started, you knew you were going to get something out of. And sure enough, shout out to Nick Senzel, hits a bomb down the left field line, ties the game at one, and you felt like you had new life. You felt like you didn't deserve to be there, but you were there anyway, so what's it matter? And if you thought it couldn't get any better, another guy you knew you were probably going to get a lot of production from at the plate before the game started, Tyler Stevenson, gets a huge hit. 
to give the Reds a 2-1 lead in the top of the eighth. And the next thing you know, the Reds are leading and you feel like, wow, is this really going to happen? Well, that all was until Alex Young decided to enter the game. And Alex Young comes trotting on out there. And I've heard the stories about, well, this guy, that guy wasn't available. Maybe this guy could have come in. Might I remind you the Reds had three hits. That's the real problem. But when you have a 2-1 to one, two to one lead in the bottom of the eighth, you'd like to win the game, especially when you have the best closer in baseball that's probably going to come out for the ninth. But Alex Young, sure enough, walks the first hitter. And you know what they say. You've seen it down at Riverfront Stadium, right? Ooh. Walks will haunt. And damn, did they ever haunt. Corbin Carroll then decided he was going to not hit the first hanging breaking ball that Alex Young threw. Not the first one, because he fouled the first hanging breaking ball off into the stands. But the second hanging breaking ball, the second gift from Alex Young, was smashed into the right field bleachers for a two-run home run. Next thing you know, the Diamondbacks lead 3-2, to two, and they would eventually lose 3-2 to two in the bottom of the ninth. Excuse me, not the bottom of the ninth, the top of the ninth, largely because... C.B. Buckner also, if you didn't know and you don't watch baseball at all, he's a guy that's been umpiring major leagues for a long, long time. I'm not sure if you can see anymore, but essentially there was a pitch that was three or four inches outside the plate. He rings up the fastest man in baseball. Ellie De La Cruz goes down on strikes, who was at a 10-pitch at bat, mind you. We sit here and complain all the time about how, oh, Ellie needs to have better at bats. He's had better. Finally get a good at bat out of Ellie. If you want to say that, I, I, I'm a little, I'm, I think I'm a little easier on Ellie than maybe others, but he was having an unbelievable at bat. CB Buckner takes the bat right out of his hand after a 10 pitch at bat, calls a pitch that was legitimately three inches off the plate, a strike three. Red still had a chance. Christian Encarnacion Strand was at the plate to give a, get to, to, with one swing of the bat, could have given the Reds the lead. Unfortunately, took strike three right down the middle, and uh, that would be the ball game. We'll get into that. Joey Votto's to the IL. Is his career over? Is he done in a Reds uniform? We'll have a discussion about that, of course, as well. James Rapine joins the show at 1030. And then to wrap it up, as long as the technology works, we will redirect you to the premiere of match one between Elliot and myself. That will be live today at 1130 a.m. And you can watch it with the chat. Or you can watch it later, because that's the beautiful thing about YouTube. You can come back later and watch it however you prefer. Match one will debut at 1130. Fellas, let's start this thing off. We had a little bit of a friendly debate. I think that's the term that I would use about what the Diamondbacks situation was there with the bases loaded. Maybe we'll discuss that briefly here at the beginning. I don't know if that's something we want to get knee deep into because we're not Diamondback fans. If we were Diamondback fans, though, that would be topic A of conversation because that's how bad that was. That's the, the optics of it looked horrible. I tried to paint a little bit of a picture as to why I think it happened. Elliot might be right. He's saying that there's no reason at all that should ever happen. Reed, Reed took a peek at it. We'll get his thoughts. And then uh, obviously when James comes on, Casey McAllister will probably make his appearance and make sure that he, we ask insightful questions because your boy's sitting right here doesn't have too many insightful things outside of the fact that we got to get to the bottom of what James Rapine did to Joe Mixon. And we also got to get to the bottom of what in the hell is going on down there at Paycor and when is Joe Burrow going to get his contract? 
Let's start with the Diamondbacks bases loaded situation. You guys, obviously, we ran through it right at the top of the show. If you haven't seen it, um, not trying to get copyrighted on this show. So we're going to stay away from showing you the replay. But if you haven't seen the replay, you can go back and try to find the highlight of it. Many of you probably have already seen it. Here's my thought. I'll give you my rundown, and then we'll go to the YouTube. With nobody out, the last thing you want to do as a base runner, quite frankly, is to make a mistake that ultimately causes uh, uh, your ability not to advance and or make the first out at home plate. So what happened, I think, is when the ball was hit, it was a little deceptive. Will Benson, I, I'm not saying he should have caught it. That's not being fair to Will Benson. But he didn't take the perfect route. Will Benson didn't take a perfect route. If you go back and watch it, Will Benson, I think, could have caught that ball. So I think that the guy on second base, who was Gabriel, decided uh, that, you know what, I'm going to hang out by the bag a little bit because if it gets down, I know I can advance to at least third, probably still score. But the ball did not get caught. Gabriel was standing, you know, I don't know, five feet from the bag, somewhere along that, at second base. Ball short hops the wall perfectly, bounces straight to Will Benson. Will Benson throws a strike straight into the infield. Third base coach at that point realized that it's going to be maybe closer than he'd like it to be at home plate with zero outs, mind you. So he holds the guy up at third base. The person that actually made a real bad baseball decision was Peterson. And I know that maybe you could say that, oh, it's hard to know. Listen, as a base runner, your job is to watch the guy in front of you. That's what you learn in the Little League. That's what you're supposed to do in high school. It's what you do in college. It's what you should do in the professional level. I get that it should have been a double, but that's not how the world works. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. So he overruns his guys. He thinks he's going to second for a double. In reality, everyone only advanced one base. And he got caught out. Madero made a bad mistake. Should have stayed at third base. If he stayed at third base, I don't know if everyone's making a big deal about this as much as they would have. In fact, I think that the... The, uh, the Diamondbacks would have still scored a run on a sacrifice fly, the very next hitter. But he decides to go home because he freaks out, panics. So I don't think the situation in, in, in jest, I guess, is as bad as it really looked on TV. I just think that a couple things happened. Peterson overran the guy at first, uh, ran, overran his situation. And the third base coach was being ultra conservative, which I don't know if I can blame him. I guess that's where I'm at. I don't kill the third base coach. Elliot... You disagree. Well, yeah, I'm going to kill the third base coach because it's when, when you have a line drive missile to the right field fence, even if you tag up, even if you have that thought at second base, you, you're not going all the way back to the bag. You're staying probably right where you right where you stopped before the pitch was thrown, and you're just watching it. At that point, once you see the ball drop, it's a full-on sprint. And it is there is no runner in the world that can't make f from halfway, from in between second and third to home base – when, when home plate, when a ball is hit to the wall, I mean, it's just there's just no possible scenario where that's where that that should have where that should have happened. Third base, the, the third base coach for the Diamondbacks. I mean, I say this again with love and respect, but I mean, he should be in prison. I mean, he should be investigated because he tanked. I mean, he openly tanked. How is he not sending him on that? He would have been safe at home had he sent him. Even with a delay, he would have he would have he would have made it home. The guy at first would he have soared if, if everybody was sprinting right away? Yeah, he would have. But I can understand Trace's point. you got to watch what the guy on second's doing if you're on first. So from that angle, I get it. But he should have still been on third base. I mean, what are we doing? I Listen, I, I, 
if you watch the replay, that ball was hit so hard. Even if Will Benson catches that ball, there is no reason why that guy at second base, I don't know who it was, Trey said the name, why he would, why would, he, why he would have to go back to second base. There's no reason. He should have stayed where he was and then sprinted home. Horrible play by the Diamondbacks. Absolutely horrible. Kept this in the game. I thank him, but it was horrible. Yeah, it's, well, when, when the bases are loaded and nobody's out, ball's hit in the air, third, guy on third base, his first thing to do is, ball's hit in the air, you go back to the bag. Guy on second base, ball's hit to right field. What you do is, you know, Elliot kind of said it, you, you start off the bag, and as the fielder gets closer to the ball, you work back towards the bag. And I'm assuming that the catcher, Gabriel Moreno, who was the guy on second base, was had a foot, foot firmly on second base. I think Will Benson might have gotten to the ball. It was definitely close. I, I follow a Twitter account called Not, Co- Not Catch Bot, and I'm going to look up the odds of him catching that here in a second here. But uh, it, uh, it just a lot of things, <laughs> things happen. I think even if Gabriel Moreno is fully tagging, he, he could have scored there. I don't know why the third base coach didn't send him, but... It, the, the worst play is absolutely on Jace Peterson. I mean, when, when you're running, you, you can't go anywhere without the people moving in front of you. If the third base coach is being conservative, that's whatever. If, if Gabriel Moreno's too slow to score from second base on a ball hit against the wall, that's whatever. If you're Jace Peterson, you just can't overrun the runner in front of you. You've got to be heads up there, and you just can't do that, especially in a tie ball game when the ball was hit. Objectively funny that the scorebook put two runs on the board, though, after the ball was hit. It's just automatic. It should be automatic. I mean, it really should be. I, I, I don't get it. I, I, when I was watching it live, I legit thought there was some kind of error that I, like, I wasn't seeing maybe because, you, you know, the Bally cameras aren't great, so maybe I missed something. But when I saw there was actually only one run that crossed the plate, I, my jaw dropped. According to baseball, um, according to Not Caught Bot, a, a bot on Twitter that gives odds on, on every ball that's hit, that's closing and hit, Will Benson had an 85% chance of catching that ball. Yeah, I, I I tell you right now, if there's one thing that you could say about Will Benson in the outfield, he takes horrible routes. He does. He does it all the time. Now, Will Benson, I think, can get better. I think Will Benson's a good player for this team. I don't want to sit here and sound like Toxic Trace is always trying to rip down every single player that plays for the Cincinnati Reds. I'm not. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you watch elite-level outfielders, you start to realize that when you don't see elite-level outfield, you realize it pretty quickly. 85% is 85%, like it or not. He took a bad route to the ball. All right? Gabriel Marino, a guy that probably when he hit it, you got to make a pretty quick instinct decision. This isn't something you get to watch on the telecast five times and then you get to realize whether you should run or not run. He wanted to make sure 100% that he was going to get to third base with one out, at least. And you know what? Worst case scenario, he gets to third base with nobody out. The person that messed up was the guy that hit the ball. Uh, for those that want to, for those that are interested, Marino's sprint speed's not as bad as I actually thought it would be. It's 54 on, on baseball savant, so he's about an average runner. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, listen, if the third base coach could do it over again and he knew what was going to happen, sure, he would have sent him. But again, I'm not going to sit here and make too 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 big of a deal about it. I just think that it's one of those interesting things. If you watch baseball enough, those are fun little small debates about who was in the wrong, who was in the right. But at the end of the day, uh, let's get into the Reds. The Reds obviously had an opportunity. Nixon Zell, shout out to Nixon Zell, the biggest home run that I've seen him ever hit. Now, you could argue that maybe earlier this year he had some walk-offs, this, that, and the other. The magnitude of that game, the momentum of that game, the possibility of what winning that game I think could have meant to this team, that's the biggest home run I've seen him hit. Um, Tyler Stevenson, another guy that we haven't got a whole lot of production from. Big, big-time hit. 
He should get a shout out as well. And then it all comes down to us. And this is where I collectively hate doing this. I don't want to sit here and discuss a bullpen decision in a bullpen in general that's been unbelievable this year and make that topic A of conversation. The truth is the Reds had three hits. Had, had and I don't say a bunch, of, a bunch of bad at bats, but I know people in the chat are saying, well, they just played two games in the humid heat and you got to give this Reds offense a little bit of slack. I, I, I guess, but this has been more than just a couple days. This has been a month-long problem. They've not really hit well since the All-Star break. They have a lot of different guys in this lineup that you could argue have no business of playing meaningful baseball on a good team. We got guys like Martini, Henry Ramos, Stuart Fairchild. Tyler Stevenson's been pretty bad, if we're being honest. Joey Votto's not been all that, well, all that great. There's a, there's a lot of names that you could rattle off that have played and had meaningful at-bats in the last month for the Cincinnati Reds. And you have to ask yourself at some point, are the Reds who we think they are, or are they just a team that's overachieved and we have to live with whatever happens in front of us? And I think that the latter of that is probably the truth. Does it mean that we can't be fans and be excited and think that we have a chance to make the postseason? You're damn right we have a chance to make the postseason. In fact, I want to remind everybody that if the Reds only win one game this series, they hold the tiebreaker over the Diamondbacks, which is basically a, a, another game swing. It's a, it's a whole extra game swing. I also want to remind you, if they take two or three from the Giants, they hold that tiebreaker. If they split with the Cubs, they have that tiebreaker. Everything's right in front of the Reds. In fact, the pitching matchups the next two days for the Cincinnati Reds, look they look promising. Doesn't mean they're going to win, obviously, but it looks promising. Uh, it, last night was a chance, if anything, to have... Uh, to have kind of the cherry on top, if you will. Shout out United Dairy Farmers. But that's kind of what it felt like. You heard the saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It kind of felt like we were going to have our cake and eat it too last night. That's what it felt like. And it just didn't happen. So be it. You move on. You play tonight. And, uh, and, and again, I think you should still be optimistic about this team. But you should be at least concerned about the offense. If you're not already, you should be. Part of that is injuries, if we're being honest. Jonathan India... You know, you could say whatever you want about it, the defensive metrics, this, that, and the other. I can tell you this. Whatever he brings to the plate offensively when he's playing at an average level or even above average level is is much greater than what we're losing defensively right now. We need Jonathan India's bat. And you could argue we need Jake Fraley. Which leads me into my point with Joey Votto. This is, uh, this is all speculative, okay? And I think I don't mean to do this. I'm not one to try to sit here and, 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 and make blasphemous statements just to try to get clicks this is my heart of my heart what i really do believe and if i'm wrong i'm sorry if i'm wrong i'm sorry i don't think joey Votto is severely hurt i i think joey Votto was in a slump joey Votto is having to play a lot joey Votto is 39 years old coming off of an injury probably not built to play as much as he's been playing lately and on top of that, definitely not built to have to face the guys that he's been forced to face the past three weeks based off of injuries. So it's been a little bit unfair to Joey Votto for being honest based off of the way that the circumstances have happened with this baseball team. And I think that the Reds have decided, you know what, we need to give Joey a break. What's the best thing we could do to give Joey a break? Like it or not, the Reds have, have, have used the IL to manipulate the roster multiple times this year. A multitude of times. And maybe if Joey's hurt, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take it all back. I don't mean to sit here and say that Joey's, you know, 
purposely going on the IL. But I, that's just my gut reaction. That's what my thought process was with this. Give the guy some rest. Let him come back. Trey Mancini's going to try to take over that role, like him or not. I know Trey Mancini used to be a Cub. Reed's looking at me like I'm crazy right now. Listen, and I'm not trying to be too rude to Joey, but to perform as well as Joey was is not all that difficult the past three weeks. We're not asking Trey Mancini to do the unthinkable. Right. So at the end of the day, when rosters expand shortly, not that long from now, rosters expand, Joey Votto's only, only on a 10-day IL. All these people saying Joey Votto's, you know, washed and Joey Votto's seen his last day in a Reds uniform. I don't believe it. Maybe I'm naive. Call me, call me just uh, um, uh, not ready to see Joey Votto be done for the Cincinnati Reds. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's severely hurt. I think he'll be back. I think there's another Joey Votto moment left in him. I really do. Um, maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe you're saying I'm crazy. Maybe he, is, maybe he really is hurt and the Reds aren't doing the things that I'm accusing them of. But they've done it before, and I'm going to accuse them of it again. And until I'm proved wrong, I'm going to continue to believe it. Joey Votto will be back for the Cincinnati Reds. He just needs a, he needs a little bit of a mental break. But this Reds team can't afford to give Joey Votto three, four days off to get a mental break right now because they're too thin already. So what do you do? You put him on the IL. You allow someone else to come up. He gets 10 days off. He comes back off the IL. You hope he gives you a spark like he did when he came back from the IL earlier this year. Simple as that. Couldn't have broke it down any better for you. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And if I'm wrong, I'll put my hand up and say I was wrong, and I'm sorry. But that's, that's, that's exactly what I think is going on with this Joey Votto situation. I don't know if Trey, Trey Mancini is any good. I know you don't think he is, Reed. But I'm telling you, he can't be all that worse than what we were getting out of first base. Listen, Trey Mancini's still got a good ball player in him left. I mean, he literally last, last trade deadline, he was traded to the Astros. They needed an extra bat before going on their, their playoff run. He hasn't played well since that trade deadline. But he's only 31 years old. He just had a bad year, and the, the Cubs were – they, they had to do something, so they had to get rid of him and whatever. I still think Trey Mancini could be a good ball player. If he performs well next weekend against the Cubs, I'll die. A little piece of me will die inside, so heaven forbid that from happening. But I don't know what the situation is with Joey Votto. You're probably right. You're I would, probably right. I would find it hard to believe that Joey Votto – there are certain people on this team that have taken the Phantom IL, Kirk Casale, Kevin Newman. There's been guys on this team that have taken that. I don't think Joey Votto is one to take the Phantom IL. I think it would be kind of insulting to him at this point in his career. And there are guys, Trace has said it, there are guys on this roster, on this active roster, that are significantly worse than Joey Votto. TJ Hopkins is not a serious baseball player, and they've run him out more times than not. Stuart Fairchild, not a serious baseball player. Nick Martini? You, Nick Martini, not a serious baseball you player. You say that, but you're wrong against left-handed pitching. You're completely wrong. Against, against one side, against one. Which is all those guys are supposed to do. Why, I mean, you know, that's my only pushback to you, Elliot, is that Stuart Fairchild and TJ Hopkins should be facing left-handed pitchers, and that's about it. It's not their fault they have to face these righties because we legitimately have no one left. So that's my only pushback to that. And that's why I think they got Trey Manzini. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed Correct. to fill in so Stuart Fairchild and, and Hopkins don't have to hit. And instead, Joey Votto, instead of him facing lefty on lefty, someone else has to step up. That's my thought. Yeah, I mean, it, but there's, I, again, this, is, this goes back to the analytics, analytics debate. I know if you look at the analytics, these guys are better than Joey Votto against left-handed pitching, probably against right-handed pitching at times. But Joey Votto is a seasoned vet. He knows what he's doing at the plate. I would still take a struggling Joey Votto 
10 times out of 10 against these uh, over these guys. I just would. Could he be actually hurt? He's been dealing with that shoulder now for like three years. He could absolutely be hurt. But he is, he is, he's going to come back this season. It's not his last game as a Cincinnati Red. The, the rosters are going to expand in September. Joey Votto is going to come back. It could be a limited role. He might not see as many at-bats as he's been seeing. It would probably honestly be better for the Reds. But I'd argue Christian Encarnacion Strand hasn't been exactly good either. So I, I think Joey Votto still has a place on this team. It's not over for him. He's going to come back in September. Uh, the, only, the only way I could see him absolutely not coming back is if the Reds go on and go on and go on a tear, right? If they go on a tear and they're legitimate contenders towards the end of September, and Votto's still not back, maybe Votto doesn't come back. But if if they're if they're a middling team and it's Joey's last month as a Cincinnati Red, the organization I firmly believe has enough respect for a guy that, again, I'd argue is the greatest hitter, greatest hitter in Reds franchise history. I believe they'd have enough respect for that guy to allow him to come back. Can we talk about all these, you know, all the names that all these non-serious ball players that that Elliot brought up, and just the fact that all these guys, the the Reds are just throwing throwing crap at a wall and seeing what sticks right now. They're just throwing all these different guys out because of injuries, because the guys that are supposed to be these these role players, like a Nick Senzel, you know, after Nick Senzel stopped starting when Ellie De La Cruz came up a couple months ago, they started, hey, we're gonna throw you in this, you know, platoon player role. He obviously wasn't cut out for that. He for two months very much struggled. So then they're just like, all right, well, we just got to start trying these guys that we have in minor leagues. Just throw them up, see what happens. Give them a week, give them a week, give them a week. And we can make fun of the TJ Hopkins, the Hank Ramoses of the world. The, the Reds are, are, are just thin. That's right. I mean, this is what they have to do to, to try and fill these holes with injuries, with with the, the players that are supposed to be filling these roles, can't do that stuff. It, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. And, and maybe Trey Mancini, you know, <laughs> comes up. Nick Martini is is a, is a goofy ball player. We talk about the former Cubbies playing for the Reds. He was he's terrible, but it is it is what it is. Well, I mean, do you do you think that Trey Mancini maybe, and I would assume, is probably going to have the same same effect, the same thought process with Cubs fans if he faces the Reds as we will with Luke Weaver? I'll be honest with you, as a Reds fan, I don't want to face Luke Weaver. I, I got a I got a bad feeling what's going to happen if we face Luke Weaver, and in fact. Like I've said before, the biggest series the Reds have for the rest of the year is the Cubs. They play them four times on Labor Day weekend. Get your, ta get your tail down to the ballpark if you're able to. And you know what? Trey Mancini might just have a nicer little revenge series. I can, I can see that coming from a mile away. I can see it coming from a mile away. However, really quickly, I want you to look up. Uh, I'm not a huge analytical guy, but I am curious. Joey Votto since the All-Star break. Let's just use since the All-Star break. I, heaven forbid the last three weeks. Can you tell me what his his uh, weighted runs created plus has been? And then I just again I gotta go to fan graphs. Yeah, making it hard on me. Sorry, I just I, I I'd like to know. I don't think we're asking a whole lot of the first base position if we're being completely honest. And I think Joey Votto will be back. We'll see what happens when he comes back. For what it's worth about last night's game, you know, everyone can talk about the, the relievers, and you brought this up earlier. I mean, the Reds had three. When when TJ Friedel, Matt McClain, Ellie De La Cruz, Spencer Steer, CES, and Will Benson combined to go 0 for 21 with 14 Ks, Correct. you're just not going to win many ballgames. No, you're not. You're just not going to win ballgames. And that's the thing that, that, that that's that's the that's the part where we as Reds fans have to realize that's probably going to be um, not the norm, certainly not going to be the norm, but it's going to become expected. These guys are rookies. And the truth is, is that we don't really know what they are. We don't know what they are. This is the first time they've played baseball probably in their life on August 25th in meaningful games. First time in their life.
I don't have the weighted runs created plus, but he's hitting 177, uh, OBP 273, slugging 363 in the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's just – so my point is, is I'd, be, I'd venture to bet that almost every other replacement that you'd have on the Cincinnati Reds is, is better. His weighted runs created plus is 67 in the second half of the season. 67. So 33% below average. 67. And I'm, this isn't me to sit here and say that we're, we should we should we should pile on. We're not going to pile on here. But let's be realistic. Let's not sit here and act like it's been good. It's been terrible. It's been awful. It's been god awful. If you watch the bats, they're just as bad. It's not like it's not like he's like run into a lot of bad luck either. Don't don't give me the oh he's hitting balls hard right at it people. He's not hitting balls hard. In fact, the last hit he got, which would be which would be kind of hopefully terrible if that's the last hit he ever got was a was an accidental swing that hit off the end of his bat that went down the third baseline and they were shifted over and that's the last time he got a hit that I can remember all right um the Bengals I know James Rapine is is, is going to join us here shortly um there's no way in the world the Cincinnati Bengals are not gonna and I I, I say maybe it's not the Bengals I'm thinking about Joe Burrow there's no way in the world in my mind, Joe Burrow should play another game in the NFL without having a huge contract. It seems preposterous that this is even a possibility, and it seems more likely now than, than not likely. I don't know who's in Burrow's camp. I get you can sit here and you could tell me one, up, up, up. Burrow is his own. He's an adult. He can handle his business however he wants. I get it. I'm just suggesting and saying that that seems like a bad idea. I don't, and, and the longer you wait, too, if the Bengals, it only can get worse at this point. You pay them now, it's going to be cheaper now than it will be next season. I, so, well, you, I, well, I'm no, looking no, at it from no. the opposite. Yeah, I think no, I'm looking at it from the opposite. If Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's already had one major injury. Right, this is, this is a Joe Burrow. It is a Joe Burrow thing, in my opinion. If I'm the Bengals, I'd be, I'd be happier than hell if right, I got if one more to, year. If he wants to continue playing yeah, on his rookie contract. He, he, listen, that contract that Joe Burrow's going to get is going to be expensive. Just call it expensive, you know? And what, what's the extra $20 million on top of it at this point? It's like, it's like when you go to the car dealership and you're like, hey, you know, I, I really like this car. And they're like, well, that's an, extra, that's an extra $70 a month, and it's already a $900 payment a month. You're like... What's 970 versus 900? At this point, I'll, you know, I'll live with it. I'm not suggesting for one second that's the way that they're going to go about their business. But I'm, on a, I'm in Joe Burrow's camp thinking to myself, no chance in hell I'm playing another game in the NFL without getting paid. Now, I know that sounds selfish. I get that Joe Burrow has never really made it about the money. He's always mentioned, obviously, that, that he cares about the guys. He wants to make sure they get taken care of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But who cares what I think? Let's see what James Rapine thinks. James, thank you for joining the program. We'll start with that. We'll start with that. I don't know where your thought process is with this whole Joe Burrow situation, the contract. Uh, before I ask you maybe the most meaningful question about it, your overall thoughts on which camp you would be in about who should get the deal done and who should be maybe the ones that would, should care more about it. Well, the Bengals, obviously, they, they need to get the deal done because Joe Burrow is the most important player probably in team history, certainly the most important person in that organization, including all of ownership. Like if you, if you say, all right, Katie Blackburn has to retire, but you keep Joe Burrow, like, and you had the ultimatum, you would have to do that because Burrow's just more important. That said, I don't think there's a chance Burrow plays this season without a contract either, because I think a contract gets done. I don't think that this is uh, an issue yet 
and it may be uncomfortable because we don't have all of the details, really any details, because they've kept it tight to the vest. I just think that something's going to get done. And this could be as simple as Joe, knowing that there's a framework in place, but hoping that they can get T done first. That said, I do think it's going to be interesting if he goes out there and potentially practices this coming week. Maybe he doesn't practice this coming week. Is that because he's still dealing with after effects from the calf strain or does it become a, co a contract thing? I think we are getting to that point. We're not there yet, but uh, that is looming if they don't get a deal done over the next few days. Is your gut feeling about the Bengals fans and I guess the overall opinion of the deal itself maybe a little too optimistic? Is Joe is, is Joe Burrow going to take the angle of what probably most of us would do, which is I'm going to look out for myself and get as much as I possibly can? He's obviously said publicly that he wants to take care of the guys and he wants to make sure that it's a team-friendly deal. However, what's that really mean? In, in your heart of hearts, do you think that it'll end up being kind of a team-friendly deal? Or do you think at the end of the day, Joe Burrow is going to get what what he thinks he deserves, and, and that's just a lot of money. I've tried to almost prepare people because there's been all of this talk about, oh, well, he could take a Mahomes-like deal. I, no quarterback's doing that. I think deep down, if you gave Patrick Mahomes truth serum, he regrets taking that deal because he's looking around at all these quarterbacks that aren't nearly as good as him, not even really close or in the same universe, and they're getting way more than he is, and they – still got rid of Tyreek Hill and can't pay Chris Jones for whatever reason. And their left tackle is different now, obviously with Orlando Brown Jr. I could go on and on and on. And so Burrow, I think it's going to be a huge deal, probably five years. I know the long-term contract sounds so much better and it allows the Bengals to be, you know, way more flexible long-term. And I get that. And I would try to do that if I was the Bengals, but if you're Joe Burrow, you're 26 now. You were old coming into the league. I think you would love to get a four-year deal. Maybe you go to five to be a little more team-friendly, and then you get another bite of the apple in a few years when you're getting closer to the end of that contract when who knows what quarterbacks will make. Maybe $70 million per year. I mean, it's gone up a ton already after that Mahomes deal. I think it could continue and will continue to do that. So in your opinion, you think obviously that you mentioned at the top here that to T. Higgins, you, you think that that deal's probably going to get done along with Joe Burrows. That's what your gut's oh. telling you. Hypothetically, though, if, if they're not able to figure out something with T. Higgins, are they going to have to – would you think they'd have to eventually, again, trade him at some point? Is that in the, is that in the, uh, the deck of the cards if you're not able to extend him? Or do you just franchise tag him and you just kind of maybe just you let him go at, at the end of that? I think it's it's twofold. One, I don't know if a T Higgins deal gets done. I think Burrow might say focus on T right now. We have at least a framework in place. Try to get him done, and we can revisit this before the start of the season. I'm just that's complete speculation, but I could totally see him being that way in hopes of them being able to keep T Higgins long term. If they don't get a deal done, which is probably how I would lean with T, I just. Given the agent, David Mulligetta, they did this song and dance with Jesse Bates, who had the same agent. And so until you get a deal done with Mulligetta, I'm wondering if you can get a deal done. Because clearly he had his eyes on bigger money for Jesse Bates. And T. Higgins is a more valuable player. He plays a more valuable position. And he's probably as good, even though he doesn't have Pro Bowls and things like that. I think we know how valuable T. Higgins is uh, to a ton of teams, but certainly this wide receiver-centric Bengals team. 
And, and so if you go into the season and like I said, it's probably more likely than not that you go into it with without a long-term extension for T Higgins and he plays out this year and he plays well and he stays healthy and he has another thousand yard plus season. Maybe he goes 12, 1300 yards. You can't just let that walk. Now I understand franchise tagging him and, and letting him play it out. I, I get the logic, but they didn't get anything for Jesse Bates because they re-signed Orlando or they signed Orlando Brown Jr. No compensatory pick, nothing like that. You can't let T Higgins leave for nothing, even if it's after the 2024 season. So to me, if you can't get a deal done this offseason over the next few weeks, let him play it out. If he plays well, like everyone expects him to, tag him. And if you can't or you don't think you're going to be able to get a long-term extension done, you trade him and you get a first rounder plus more. I think he would have more value in this market than AJ Brown had, for example. And that may be weird for some people. I just I think that the wide receiver market continues to go up. T. Higgins will be 25, and I think there will be a lot of suitors, people vying for, or teams rather vying for his services. All right, we're getting down towards the end of the preseason. Obviously, roster cuts are right around the corner. The 53 man's going to have to get finalized. When you watch the game uh, this upcoming weekend, is there one specific position? Is there a multitude of guys that you're looking for? What do you think the final cuts are? Is the is the, do you have a, a crystal ball? Do you have the last man cut in your mind? Where where are you at on 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 the roster? These quarterbacks, I mean, there aren't one, there aren't many spots up for grabs. I would say 51 are probably done. It's it's really tough to find an open roster spot. And these two quarterbacks, that's really the biggest question at this point because of injury or because of guys emerging or whatever it is. Who's going to be the backup? And I still don't really know. I think Jake Browning came into this week with a slight edge over Trevor Simeon. Simeon has the experience. Could he win the coaching staff over with a, a nice performance in Washington? Maybe. Or is it someone else? Is it a guy that's going to get cut elsewhere, potentially traded, you know, for, for a late rounder? I think that's interesting. Uh, the offensive line room is one that do they keep nine guys or 10? And as of now, I think they do keep Jackson Carmen. I don't think they cut a, a second round pick from just a few years ago. At the same time, he's been underwhelming overall throughout this two and a half years going into his third season now with the Bengals, and so do you try to move on sort of like you did with Billy Price? I think that that's interesting if you can find find the right trade. Not sure they'll be able to, but uh, those are a couple of the things I'm looking at going into Saturday. So essentially you, you think obviously the quarterback's the main priority this upcoming game, mm -hmm. and then ultimately from there there's not many spots available, period. Uh, the, the last thing here that uh, that comes to mind, I'm sure there's there's some other knowledgeable people in the room that might have better questions than I did you did you accidentally get lumped in with with a bunch of Big J journalists down there, and 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 there was just collateral damage, or is there any it, what exactly happened with the with the the big I don't want to say kind of uh, um, difficult situation with Joe Mixon, but were you surprised by that, or or your, what were your overall thoughts about that whole situation in general? I mean, I've been critical of Joe Mixon's contract all off season, and in critical it to me is honest. And so maybe that's it. I didn't really cover the, the off the field stuff much from an opinion standpoint. It's been pretty straightforward what's going on. So I don't think there's anything there that he could have an issue with. But yeah, I mean, $12.7 million cap hit. That's too much for Joe Mixon in this running back market. And I still stand by that. So maybe that's it. Maybe he caught, 
you know, clips of me saying that or, or maybe articles or whatever the case is, right? You never know. So I don't know exactly, but I don't think I, I covered him unfairly this offseason. Obviously, the Bengals restructured his deal based on the running back market, his performance. You know, there's a lot of things that go into that. And, uh, and he's still around. So, you know, good for Joe that he's still on a Super Bowl contender. And, uh, you know, I just keep doing my job regardless of, of how he feels one way or the other. That's more than fair. Uh, speaking of which, the one last thing that I just remembered, you obviously had a chance to talk to Orlando Brown Jr. This Bengals franchise in general, my, my, as much as they, people might want to complain about management a while back and, and, and the Brown family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they've been very loyal. I mean, they, they have been incredibly loyal to some of their players. You could say they're being loyal to Joe Mixon. My question to you is, is when guys are starting to take to Orlando Brown Jr.'s point, he took less money, I believe it was his words, not ours, his words, uh, to go to the Bengals. Maybe that's more or less because of obviously what's in front of the Bengals. They have a chance to win the Super Bowl. But I've always wondered if, if that's ever an advantage that the Bengals will eventually have based off of how they've treated their players. They've been very loyal to them. Do you think that makes one one difference or a next? Or is it just kind of Orlando Brown Jr. wanted a chance to play with Joe Burrow, and that's about what it was? No, I, I think it can make a difference. But it doesn't make a difference when you don't have – like, they go hand in hand. You, you need to be able to win and be a contender – at the same time, it's like, oh, well, this is a fun place to play. Great culture. They are loyal to you. They'll stick by you. They're not going to cut you with two years left on your deal. Like you can make all of those cases now, especially in mix-ins, because I think a lot of teams, it, we saw it in Minnesota with Alvin Cook, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, and Jerry Jones loved Zeke, right? And, and so I think that that is a selling point. I don't think it's the reason why guys necessarily come here, but it could certainly be a sweetener. And uh, with Orlando Brown Jr., I, I think it might have mattered a little bit, especially because, well, he, he probably felt betrayed a bit by how things ended in Kansas City. I think he was thinking he was going to be there long term. Didn't work out. And uh, it's nice for the Bengals because I think he's clearly their best left tackle that they've had in, in quite some time. James, thank you for coming on the program. I appreciate you jumping in here. Obviously, I am uh, I am not Tom Brenneman, but you've been nice enough to, to, to me to jump on here and, and, and chat it up and, and uh, bring at least a little bit of knowledge from the Bengals front to the show. Obviously, Casey holds it down in here, but uh, but I am lacking in that department. I'll try to be better, but uh, but thank you. How's for, Tom for doing? Some I, I already was. I, I Yeah, how's he feeling? Uh, I think Tom is, is, is – I don't want to speak for him, you know, too far, but, I mean, ultimately I think he's feeling a little bit better. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that next week he can at least update everybody on where he's at, at least in the studio, um, and be able to talk and, and, and have a conversation here live and let him kind of tell everybody where he's at. But, but I think that, um, you know, he, he, he has continued to show confidence in the fact that he's going to be back one way or other, whether that's surgery or whether that's just the steroids. We'll, 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 we'll wait to find out. Sheesh. All right. So questionable for week one. I was hoping it would be be, be much better yeah. than that. So we'll see. But uh, yeah. well, I, I hope don't... he's doing better. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thank you, James. We'll see. I mean, maybe see. maybe maybe Tom is on the same trajectory as as, uh, as Joe Burrow. Maybe he'll be back. Maybe he won't. I don't know. You know, guys, he may. I, I feel like Joe Burrow, uh, w w there for a minute, everyone in the office was freaking out, you know? I mean, freaking out's an understatement. See, yeah, season was over. Everybody's saying it's not good. Non-contact injury. It would have been, been over. I'm, 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 I'm aware, but the, the, the fact of the matter is there was just absolutely a bunch of people just overreacting in this office. Oh, outside of one guy. Oh. Outside of one guy. Outside of one guy. Quitter Paul. 
sat right here. <laughs> laughed at us. And was laughing at you guys. At legitimately, laughing, legitimately just straight up laughing at you. Now, though I think that was a little bit of an overreaction for Paul, yes. I don't think you should be laughing about your franchise quarterback going down to a non-contact injury. Right. But, but, but you guys basically had him dead. Listen, when, when you see your, the, the, the pride of your city, the franchise quarterback, the guy whose sole job in this life now, his only responsibility for his soul is to give the millions of people that live around Cincinnati hope and, and give them happiness. When he goes down on a non-contact injury and is carted off practice field like the second day that they're hitting, that doesn't make you feel very good, Trace. That doesn't make you feel very good at all. And I, you know what? I was, I, I love Paul. I was so mad at him. I was, when he was giggling, when I called Jacob, Jacob was still here on his internship. I called Jacob and I, he answered the phone and I immediately heard Paul laughing in the background. Uh, I wanted to jump through. I wanted to jump through the phone. You will, you will never experience the pain that Jacob and I experience when we're, we're just cat, we're having a casual conversation, me and Jacob about the NFL preseason. It's about to start. And Paul goes, <laughs> Joe Burrow went down on a non-contact injury. What? That's not very what? funny. That's not very funny. That's not funny at all. <laughs> Why are you chuckling? Why is this funny? And so just the panic that ensued afterwards. It, and, it, it was bad. And is Joe, not good. Is Joe coming back? Like, I know everything. Like, I haven't heard anything to to the contrary that Joe's going to be back for week one. He, he's, he's moving around fine without a brace, without a whatever. And, uh. Without a boot, so he should be back. But it, that's that's done, right, Casey? He's gonna be back for week one, right? Yeah, I think he's back week okay. one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think he was gonna be back. I think it was an overreaction to that injury from the city. So I think what? He's, I think he's I think he's okay. He was he was always gonna be okay. I think they knew it pretty much right away uh, after they carted him over to the over to the locker room that he was gonna be he was gonna be fine. It's an injury. You have to treat it, right? It's but it's it's not a serious injury. We're gonna be okay. Bengals are going to be back. We're going to be okay. Uh, do you think next season we're going to have a normal preseason from Burrow? No. Can, can we get one? No. I mean, we can't have nice things in this city. We just want, we just want we just want Joe Burrow to be fine for an entire preseason, be healthy, have everything working. But that's just never going to happen. Next season, some something like a meteor will strike the practice field, and they've got to drive an hour north to to go practice. That's that's what's going to happen next offseason. It just it's just is what it's our life now. That's our life. We're never going to get three four weeks of just normal practice like every other team gets to experience. Joe Burrow, his first year, he's he's on Zoom calls with the team. He can't even meet the guys face to face because of COVID. Second year, he's coming back from you know tearing up his knee third year his his own appendix you know that's that's enemy number one in this city joe burrow's appendix what is he doing trying to take out trying to take out our beloved joe burrow and then now we've got a non-contact injury just one one time we will we will have a full full preseason, but it'll probably happen in over a decade well i i i just thought of something that's kind of uh, visually funny I, I don't mean it to sound like anyone should get hurt but when you had said can we have one normal preseason I was thinking next year it'd be actually funny if the bubble like popped in the middle of one of their practices or something <laughs> and it just like trapped a bunch of guys in there and it was just a it was just a huge news story for like two hours like oh no how are they gonna get him out they're gonna be in trouble <laughs> it's like I mean maybe <laughs> I don't know I don't know can why that just popped <laughs> in my head but I think that would be just quite honestly hilarious and it would just go towards the Cincinnati Bengals in general like the way that it's just gone to the past they get this indoor facility that let's be honest of an indoor facility i think we could do a little bit better you know? <laughs> I mean, I indoor, in, like, hey 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 baby steps baby steps we, we, we were just 
we were just talking yesterday about about the facilities that the Bengals have, and and Casey was fighting us tooth and nail that Paycor's a great football stadium or anything like that. I didn't like, say it was great. I just like, think it's a bad Casey, rap. Casey, it's 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 not good. It's not, and it's okay. It's okay because it's filthy because the greatest football player who ever played, Joe Burrow, gets to play in the middle of it. So it's it's all right. It's all okay. Speaking of preseason, by the way, Bengals third preseason this weekend. No starters playing. Nobody. Not no. a single one. No so starters. It'll be all backups. I think what'll make that game more interesting. They should give Simeon and Browning each a half. Whoever scores the most points, they get the job. They get the backup job. The other one gets cut. I think that would make it a lot more fun. They just trade snaps, like you yeah. know, you know, you know, yeah. like you know, in youth football before you have like the the um, the comms and the helmets, you have to run a player in every single time to get the play in. They just they're just sitting by Zach yeah. Taylor waiting for the play, and they run it in, and then Jake Browning sprints off, and Trevor Simeon jumps in, and they just they just alternate every single play. You guys aren't Friday Night Lights guys, but they actually did this in season three with uh, QB one Matt Saracen and QB two JD McCoy. So they did this in Friday Night Lights. It would be a, it would be a strategy that I think would work for a meaningless game. Thank you for bringing soap opera into this. It's not this, a soap opera. It's not this, a soap opera. Into this Friday it's a edition sports, of It's a sports drama. Speaking of soap operas, which this isn't one at all, I just needed to segue away from those guys arguing about nothing. Uh, please, <laughs> please like the stream, okay? Please like the stream if you haven't already. Just hit the like button at the bottom of the screen. Also, subscribe. If you've not subscribed, genuinely, that's... Maybe that's the bigger ask, is subscribing to the channel. Turn on the notification bell. I think that I think that's taking it to a whole other level, right? That's, that's like... Uh, that's going from Andy Dalton to Joe Burrow is liking the stream to then and then actually subscribing to the channel. Stats tell us 70% of the people that watch this show aren't subscribed, which is kind of wild because I think that most of our fan base is loyal as loyal comes. It seems as if when we go live, the notification bell's on. It feels that way at least. But if it's not, please do so. It's a simple ask. Much love to you. Um, the Bengals... I think have had a telltale sign that Joe Burrow is going to be back. You know what it is? They've not gone out and they've not made a huge priority of going and finding another quarterback, at least publicly they haven't. You'd like to think that if they were going to have to rely on one of these two guys that have been taking snaps to the Cincinnati Bengals, and you could say maybe they're, they, they don't, they're not as bad as they've looked, which I could, I could understand, right? The ones aren't really out there, so maybe they, they, they could look better. Um, but again, whether it's Simeon or whether it's Browning, I don't think that any Bengal fan in their right mind thinks that that's actually a reasonable solution behind Joe Burrow. And I think the Bengals are like, you know what? We've had these guys in the facility for quite some time. They know the playbook. They're, they're going to be at least somewhat serviceable in a situation that maybe for a game or two, they could maybe hold, hold it down. Maybe for a drive, if Joe Burrow goes out for, for one drive, they could hold it down. But if, I do genuinely feel like if Joe Burrow wasn't going to be back, they would have found another solution that they think that they could have maybe filled a hole or filled a void in. But they didn't want to, you know, I don't want to say overspend, but I don't think they really wanted to overreact with that because they knew all along, all along, maybe not all along, but they knew pretty early that Joe Burrow was going to be back for week one. He's yeah. going to be back. He's yeah. going to be back. Which is good. It's great for our city. Um, again, nobody, uh, a bigger Bengal fan than me, of course, it's not a Bengals fan. When the Bengals win, it's great for our city. Now, again, I got to be honest with you guys. Sometimes it is a little, it's a little overwhelming having to listen every week about Lou Armadillo. Now, if, if I have to hear that again, I'll probably be rooting for second half touchdowns because it just gets toxic to come into work every day and have to hear about Reed saying, oh, the Bengals haven't allowed a second half touchdown in like nine years. It just it gets overwhelming. If you could bear with that for me, then I'll bear through the rest of it with you. As you can probably tell, 
Reed Mouse, Cubs fan. You know how he is as a Cubs fan? Same way as a Bengals fan. Might be worse as a Bengals fan, if we're being completely honest. So, I have a lot more backup I, as a Bengals fan. I, I, have a I lot will more tell backup. you right now, if you're not a Bengals fan and you're around Reed Mouse, just basically think about the fact that if he was a Cubs fan, spewing his thoughts all the time, which is good. Great for our city. That's what makes this duo elite. Obviously, I'm a Reds guy. Not a Bengals guy. Huge Bengals guy. Yeah. Not a Reds guy. The two of us, when you put us together, <laughs> we combine. We're, we're perfect. You know what we are? We're platoon guys. We're exactly what David Bell's looking for. That's what we are. And you should appreciate it, I think. I don't know if I should tell you that you should appreciate me. That seems like a little egotistic, but that's what I just did. So here we are. We, well, are, we are 30 minutes away well, from a match made in heaven. Yeah. It is going to, for those that don't know, uh, YouTube allows you to redirect. That's the term they use. They allow you to redirect to you to another video. So at the end of this show, uh, you should get redirected to the premiere at 11.30 for our match. Uh, the reason I wanted to make it a premiere is because you could live chat during it. It's, it's just, you could just take the chat, you can, you can implement it, you can watch the show on your time. You don't have to spend 30 minutes trying to watch it on other time. So if you're used to watching this show from, from uh, 10 to noon, good news, from 11.30 to noon, you can enjoy the match. Uh, I think it's enjoyable. It's funny. I stayed up till four in the morning, which I almost oh pulled gosh. an all-nighter. Almost pulled an all-nighter. You were up at five thirty. Yeah, you emailed us at like five thirty. Is that what time it was? Yeah. All right. Well, that's what time I was up till. So here's the thing: not not good as an adult. I used to be able to do those like back in the day uh, in college. I used to be able to pull all-nighters and get away with it. I can't do it anymore. I realized that when I woke up this morning. Realized I can't do it. But I'm going to give you the best hour and a half I could possibly give you. So that's where I'm at. But yeah, 5.30 this morning, I realized I made a mistake. I was like, I got to go to bed or I got to stay up. Decided to go to bed. Yeah, going to bed. Everyone thinks like, eh, I'm, I'm two hours away from waking up anyways. You need the nap. When, when you pull an all-nighter, does it not feel like everything, like your whole day is in a fight, like a fog? Like there's just something lingering over your head well, the entire day. So again, not to shout out my, my previous employer, but I had to wake up on Saturday mornings around 3 a.m., so it's difficult to find a sleep pattern that works when you're waking up at three in the morning. So what happened was oftentimes I would probably walk up to my room around 10 p.m. and say, all right, I'm going to take a quick five-hour rest here. Uh, but I just played on my phone till like 1.30, and there were about five times where I would just stay up till the full 3 a.m. Then you work your full shift from 4 to 12. And again, the previous employer, no shout-outs here. Um, and I would get in my car on the drive home – Again, please don't do this. There were a few instances where it was, I mean, I, I was falling asleep at the wheel. I, I mean, it was bad. Have you you ever... need at least one, you need something. Like one hour, even one hour makes the difference like to, to survive through the day. Have you, have you ever fallen asleep at the wheel, like legitimately? No. Because I have. I have one time in my life. I was a young, uh, I think I was maybe 17, and I had went to the lake um, and was boating all day and... Mm -hmm. Had about an hour and a half drive back, and it was just a terrible idea. And that was the last time that I ever tried to push through something like that. It was dangerous. I mean, I genuinely got lucky. I got lucky. When I when I was in college, I you know spent summers doing landscaping down in Anderson, so an hour away here from Hamilton. Yeah. Being a college kid, I'd go out to the bars pretty much every every night till about eleven. Head home, sleep, wake up, 
go work in the sun for nine hours and then the hour lot drive home and, and the air conditioning, I'd be honest, if, if rumble strips weren't a thing, Rita Roo probably wouldn't be here sitting in this chair right now. <laughs> I'd fallen asleep many a times at the wheel. Many a times is not anymore. It seems like a seems like a terrible seems like a terrible thing. One time I think is a reasonable thing because once it happened to me one time, it wasn't going to happen again. It was very 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 scary. Uh, Didn't crash, which is kind of a minor miracle. Just kind of like woke up and was still on the highway somehow. Now luckily there was no one else on the highway, but that's here nor there. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, it's not not ideal. Now how long I was actually asleep for was was obviously not that long considering that the car was still on the road. But you know. That's a serious thing. If you're very, very tired this weekend, yep. as always, not that you need this PSA, but you know what? Take Sleep. an Uber. Don't drink and drive. You know you know the drill. Be responsible. Real quick. Um, go real ahead. Qu- we have to uh, do our high school pick'em. Okay. Uh, here are our results what? from last week. Yeah, please. And again, again, the loser of this has to get fired. That's, okay, that's the yeah. Stipulation. That seems like a bad Winner idea. Winner gets $1 million. Loser gets fired. Gotcha. So I'll just read off the standings real quick, and we'll see who's kind of in the last place trying sure. to get fired. Casey five and zero last week. What? A perfect five and zero for Casey. What Kid knows skin. Kid knows pick Trace skin. came in at second, four and one. Hmm. The only game he got wrong was a biased pick. Uh, yeah, that's true. Reed three and two, pretty good. Elliot zero and five. But <laughs> let me tell you this: I'm gonna, I'm, I, I love my chances this week. So we're gonna get it right. I'm gonna pick the best five games, and we're gonna go right into it. So here this we go. Be good. Game one: Hamilton at Lakota East. We'll start with me. I'm going to go Lakota East. Yeah, I'll take the Thunderhawks. John Kitten is going to get his first win as the as the Thunderhawks head coach. His son is committed to the University of Houston and plays quarterback. So give me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to make sure that I don't fall deeper into the standings. Uh, uh, I'm going to take Lakota East. Yep. Lakota, Lakota East. Lakota East okay. for me. All right. Game two. Game two. I'm going to scroll down here. Here we go. Shout out. You can watch that on watchcbox.com. Yes. Uh, Mason at Oak Hills. Mason at Oak Hills. Mason. Yeah, yeah. these are great games. Mason. <laughs> I'm trying to get back on the board, guys. You can, you can pick your games next week. I'm trying to get back on the board. Casey? Mason. All right. Looks like a couple 2 and O's there. Let me type this in. Okay, here we go. Do, go the, down. do the good GMC game. I'm doing the good games. Uh, we have St. Newman Goretti, Pennsylvania at Elder. Oh at Elder. God. Again, this is a great matchup. I'm going to take the Panthers. <laughs> Let's go Panthers. Reed, do you want me to repeat the school name for that yeah, opponent? Sure. Okay, that name is. Oh wait, it might not be Saint. What's SS? It's a it's a boat. They're playing a boat. S. They're playing the SS Newman Garetti from Pennsylvania. Apparently, it's some kind of ship. They're playing the SS Newman Garetti, similar to the Titanic. They're going down the night. <laughs> It is St. John Newman and Maria Cadetti. Here we go. All right. So, uh, Reed, you got Elder? Give me the Dukes. From, <laughs> give me the Dukes from St. John Newman and Maria Garetti Catholic High School. All right. St. Mm. Newman. All right. <laughs> this is like drawing. This is basically just blind. I have no idea. That could be like an IMG Academy, Let's, the best football players in the world. Yeah, it also could be Bishop Sycamore. I wouldn't know the difference. The I wouldn't know the difference. Can I think I'm, da- I'm going to go with the Panthers. Yeah, that's right, baby. Casey? Uh, you want I'm, the Dukes or the Panthers? I'm, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the Dukes. Yes, <laughs> Elder stinks. The Dukes. All right, Saint Newman. Please okay. do the only game that's really good in the town this. All right, next game. Hold on. Here we go. I'm scrolling down. Scrolling down. Scrolling down. Here we go. Bishop Dweg. Dw- oh my gosh. Here we go. Bishop Dwenger from Are Indiana. Are we seriously doing this? 
Can I pick my games and you can pick your games? These are the games this week. If you don't like the games, we can reset next week. This is Bishop Dwenger from Indiana at Moeller. At Moeller. Don't even know how to say their names. I watched Moeller play last week, and I say this with love. I say this with respect. It wasn't very competitive, and they played like an S-word. Uh, I'm going to take Bishop Dwenger. Bishop Dwenger against Moeller. Reed? Moeller's uh, starting quarterbacks from Hamilton. Matt Ponatowski. Give me, give me the Crusaders. Okay. I'll take Moeller as well. Okay. Casey? Moeller. I have no idea. Who well, Dwenger Casey, you're is. with us. We're just, yeah. we're just gonna go against. Uh, we're gonna fade, fade Elliot. That's probably smart. All, All right. right, you got one more <laughs> game. And the final Please game, the good game, the greatest game on this, on this. Okay, here it is. Riverview East at New Miami. Riverview East at New Miami. That is the best game on the slate tonight. Riverview East versus New Miami. I'm going to take Riverview East. Go East. What's their mascot, Reed? Do we I know? don't know, but that school, that's the school that's on stilts, right? right oh, is it? Yeah, it's the oh, school that's I on love, stilts over by I Lincoln. I love their chances. They know how to deal, with, they know how to deal with adversity over there. Riverview East versus New Miami. <laughs> Riverview East. There we go. We got East. Riverview East. Trace? What a ridiculous segment this is. Riverview East or New Miami? Riverview East. And again, loser gets fired. Riverview East. Casey. I'll do New Miami just to be different. Well, good luck for you. I saw their complex over here. I mean, I could build one better myself. And I'm not that handy. There we go. All right. So that's – we'll see who – again, I'm – I started off good last week, 0-5. Casey's five and zero. Oh, Trace four and one. Reed three and two. We've got we got the two best GMC schools playing each other. Princeton at Lakota West, and he's has us picking teams from Philadelphia and Northern Indiana. Love this. Yeah, it's a great segment. It's, we're gonna again. Loser gets fired. I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say one thing real quick. I'm, again, not to transition. This is Trace's show. Shout out Trace. I watched the game last night, the Reds game. We're gonna transition to the Reds game. The C.B. Buckner call on Ellie De La Cruz. I'm not saying that you should blame the umpire really ever. I mean, right? I mean, umpires, umpires do their job. It's a human element. It's a thankless job. The best umpires in the world are guys you don't know their names because they just do their job well and you don't care enough to look them up afterwards. That's the best, that's, that's the best case scenario when you're an umpire. If you're C.B. Buckner last night and you have that wind-up strike three called waiting in your head, that's a premeditated strike three call. He was waiting for like three pitches, somewhat like if anything's close, if it gets by Ellie De La Cruz at all, he's calling, he's ringing him up right there. That is one of the most egregious calls to end in that bat I've ever seen. A 10 pitch at bat, and he gave the most enthusiastic wind up strike three call I've ever seen in my entire life. That guy should be investigated. And again, I'm, I'm not a blame the ump guy. I'm not a blame the ump guy, but if this keeps happening, the MLB needs to do something. It's going to become an unserious league if you have MLB umpires taking the, taking the game away from the players, taking away the, the game from the managers, the fans, and everything's about you, C.B. Buckner. Everything was about C.B. Buckner for that at-bat. He, he literally did the most enthusiastic strike three call I've ever seen. It was humiliating to be a part of. It was humiliating to watch. It was bad. It was embarrassing. If that's the case, bring out the robot umps. Bring them all out. I'm very sorry. I, I respect umpires and the, the few, the bad, the ugly. They give all the umpires a, a, a bad rep. I'm sorry. 
But if there's a way to do this where like teams aren't losing games because of this, that's what you have to do. Robot umps, trot them all out. I want the system in place next year. It won't happen next year, so the year after that. I want them out now. I, I, I just can't take it. I can't, we can't have at-bats and games decided on, on, on umpires' egos because they want to take away the sport from everybody else. It was, a, it was, it was an enthusiastic strike yeah. three call. If you did not get a chance to see it, he was ready to go, baby. I mean, he had it ready to go. You ready for it? I mean, he was just like, whoo. <laughs> I mean, as fast as like that, too. He was, you knew he was looking to do it. He wanted to do it. He got his chance. It was close enough. Now, the good news is, is he got another chance with CES because CES, boy, he let one go right down the middle. So I don't want to sit here and make it about umpires when you had three hits. Three no, it's not. Hits. That game is not three about hits, umpires. Three hits. Three hits. Although you do bring up a good point. I think we should make it a chat poll question of the day before we get to our cherry on top here, before we get to our 1130 transition over to the premiere of the match, is this. Do you want robo-umpires? Yes or no? And I'll tell you, the only reason I am hesitant with the robo-umpires is because if we're going to do the whole, if it barely nicks the sphere of the zone... I think it changes the game significantly. I think that people will start pitching differently. I think you're going to get breaking balls that damn near hit the dirt for strikes. Guys are going to learn how to manipulate the zone. And I like offense. I like offense. And maybe you could argue it'll be better for the offensive player because they know the zone and the zone's going to stay the same. And you're not going to have a situation where one guy's umpire, uh, one umpire is, is his zone's different than the next. Maybe you could say that. But I do think pitchers have an ability to really make pitching or, or, or hitting difficult if they're able to start just barely nicking that zone on the outside and the inside corner where traditionally you would never get that pitch as a strike ever with a human umpire because the ball is damn near bouncing or, or the ball, as you've seen many times with Tyler Stevenson, no disrespect, of course, where the guy's diving his glove to the ground to try to catch it. I don't know. I think if you could kind of get rid of that aspect of it to where – Maybe I'm sure there's an analytical way to do it for sure based off of degree angle that it enters the zone at and where it actually touches the zone at, whether that should be considered a strike or not. I think it's a reasonable debate. Reed, I don't know what your take is on it, but your overall thoughts on the robo-umpiring situation. I think, yeah, I'm in, I'm in favor of it because I think that the job of officials in any sport is to determine who the winner is based off the rule book. And when in any sport they get it wrong, I don't want that. The dumbest take that I think is currently happening in baseball at this very moment is when these kind of things are brought up, they go, but what about the human element of the game? What is that? What are we taught? We, we want them to be wrong sometimes. Humans are imperfect. That's okay. But we want them to be wrong. If we have a way to determine the best winner, the, you know, by the rule book, who is the better, who played better that night and have no outline variables, we should do that. We should do that in every sport. If, 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 if the robots can get it perfect every time, then what are we doing? Why are we talking about, well, we want them to be wrong sometimes. Have you ever played MLB The Show? Have you ever played any of those games and like, you, you can turn up the slider on how right and wrong the umpire is? You always turn it down because you want the right call to happen. I actually don't do that. I actually play it the chaotic way where you just don't know. That's crazy. But that is insane because we don't need we, – we, we want the game to be called the right way. We want the better team that day to win the ball game. That's all we want. Now, there are some, some things that are going to go away. Do I think that the game is going to be less pretty? Do I think that the game is going to be less pretty because 
inherently now that the umpires aren't calling strikes, these catchers aren't going to want to frame pitches. There's not, I think there's going to be a thing. I tweeted this out. I think there's going to be a whole new wave of catchers that are outfielders or whatever, because all they need to do, because they don't need to call the game because of pitch comp. They don't need to frame the pitch because the umpires don't need to, don't need to see the strike zone anymore because the robo umps. So basically we're just going to have a big body back there. That's just going to block the pitch. And then he's going to go hit and maybe have to throw somebody out every once in a while. So the art of catching is going to go away. Sure. Is the game going to be a little less pretty? Sure. But are we going to have the right calls on the field all the time? Yes. And I, and, I, and Mike Krause brings it up uh, in, the, in the chat here. He says that it adds to the drama of the sport. And again, sports are the best drama in TV. That's just a fact. Have you ever watched the WWE? Do 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 out from under the bridge is Reed. Um, so no no no. If and I agree, I was against robot umps coming into the season. But this season, I don't know if it's because the Reds are really good and I've been paying vastly more attention to what's been happening in the league. But umpires have been atrocious this season. Absolutely atrocious. The the umpires in Milwaukee, I don't know who those guys were, but they cost the Reds about two games. I, I it's just it's just bad. It, and by the way, it's not taking away their jobs. Somebody still has to see if there's a check swing, right? I mean, there's still going to be bad calls made on the field. There still has to be a first base umpire, a second base umpire. The home plate umpire is still going to stay there. He's just getting the call through his through the uh, through the headset, opposed to him, CB Buckner, just wanting to make a big spectacle of everything. So I I, I do think there is an aspect to the human element that will remain, but at some point you have to you have to have the best team win with no underlying egos or whatever you want to say about these umpires it's because it's it's changing the game it is these guys are taking the game into their own hands opposed to what's happened on the field so that would be my argument if, if, if you like the drama of the sport you're still getting it with bad calls you're still going to get a bad Jim Joyce call at first base the issue is now you can challenge that and, and, and put the umpire to a test the umpires aren't going away it's just the home plate umpire needs to be dealt with at some point Listen, yeah. 30, 30 years ago, people were arguing whether or not the NFL should have replay. That was happening 30 years ago. And you know what the argument was back then? Yeah, but what about the human element? I mean, they're watching it in real time. Don't we want that? That's dumb. We know that, and we know that now. Now we want to see every replay angle of every fumble that happens. We need to see that because it's better for the game. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were arguing, yeah, should we have replay in baseball? Yeah, but what about the human element of the game? Now we need replay because we want to see what the right call is on the field. In tennis, for the longest time, we had technology to see if a ball was in or out. Yeah, but we like the line judges calling it. What is that? And, and in 10 years, when they put the robot umps in a couple of years, 10 years from now, we'll be like, yeah, wasn't that a great call to just have the robots call the balls and strikes? We can continue to push against change. That's part of human nature. That's part of what it is. But progress is good for the game. It's good for the sports. Players will adapt. The game will adapt. It's better. It's just better. Well, the truth is, is that at the beginning of this year, if you don't remember, there was people that were sitting there yelling at the TV saying that they, they need to get rid of the pitch clock. This isn't baseball. This isn't baseball. This isn't the spirit of the rules. This isn't the game. And, and, and to be honest with you, when I watch a game anymore, I, the, the pitch clock has made it much more enjoyable. It's not even remotely close. In fact, I think it's the best sporting rule change in any, in any sport since I've been watching sports as an adult. It really has. It changed the whole dynamic of your viewing experience. And, yeah, you can say that there are pivotal moments to where you'd like to, you'd like to think that the pitch clock shouldn't really rear its ugly head. But it, it, it really hasn't. And to be honest with you, you got to put that a little bit on the pitcher and the hitter a little bit too because you can find a ways to buy yourself time. If you're a pitcher and you need a little bit more time, hey, 
Act like the damn ball needs to be replaced. Not hard, not brain surgery, not really difficult to figure out a way to buy yourself some time. If you're a hitter, you need some time, act like you got something in your eyes. I don't give a damn. Figure out a way to give yourself some time. If that's what you need in a really, really big moment, I can live with that. It's not hard to figure out ways to manipulate the rule book if in, in, in specific time frames. Now, the only thing I'd say to that is that I also like the idea of having to pitch. I don't want my pitcher having to spend a minute and a half out there messing with the rosin bag, walking around the mound five times just to, just to collect himself. What other sport do you, get to, do you get to regulate when you're ready to go or not ready to go? In basketball, when they blow the whistle and they hand the ball over to the guy, you got five seconds to inbound the ball. Right. We're moving. In football, you got you gotta, you, you you gotta got to play clock, and then when the ball snaps, you better be ready to go. Baseball, again, I like the idea of, of a pitcher having to get on the rubber and make a pitch when he might feel a little uncomfortable. I think it adds to the game. I think it's more drama. I think, again, baseball, maybe it's just because I, I, I decided to do a podcast. We, we watch every game, blah, 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 and I hadn't watched baseball in a while. But I'm going to tell you, I genuinely enjoy watching baseball. I had not said that for the last eight, nine years before this year. Some of that might be because the Reds have not been very good. That's possible. That's I, probable. But said, in general terms, I'll actually watch a game that's not the Reds correct. anymore yeah. because it's Night actually baseball. enjoyable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sunday Night Baseball. Remember when that was a big deal? Remember when that was a big deal? I'm watching it again. I'd sit down and I'd watch it. Now, I don't know if I'm ever going to tune into Friday Apple TV games unless the, the Cubs or the Reds are playing. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's much more enjoyable. How many times have you guys talked to somebody this year that has been down to Great American Ballpark and their first takeaway is like, Man, it's so much better. Like it's so, it's so much more engaging with that pitch clock. It's so much better now because it is. And, and and that's not even talking about the other rule changes. You know the um, the shift. Lefties batting averages are skyrocketing because because there's no longer the shift. Stolen bases are I don't know what Way percentage up. that they're up, but they're up. I have a quick thing on the stolen crazy. bases. Big brain thinking here. I don't know when they're going to change the rule, but they should keep on. If you're a base dealer, you should manipulate this rule as long as they'll let you. You know what you need to do. You need to get those sliding gloves. You need to have a sliding glove manufacturer. You need to have a sliding glove manufacturer get you the three or four extra inches. They, Nobody's they, regulating. I'm being dead ass some serious. Guys you, do can, that. you can sit here and laugh about some it. Some guys that. do that. I'm, talk, I'm saying get it to where you can hold on to a bar on the inside of it. It's got to be like basically a cast. Something like if you break your arm, it needs to be like a cast. And it goes out. You can't make it obviously ridiculous because then immediately they're going to fix that rule next yeah. week. You got to be subtle about it. Three or four inches is the difference between being out and safe. Do it. Do it. Maybe they're already doing it. They, but I, I 100% would be right on that train. If well, I was Ellie De La Cruz, boy, I'd be, I'd, I'd, it would get a half an inch longer every week. Well, if you remember, Billy Hamilton was like one of the first guys to wear the glove, and it was a mitt. Like it was literally like an oven mitt, right? Like it just slid over your hand, and it stopped right here. Now they go out to about like right here. Like they they get some inches on that. Yeah. So what a we'll career see. for Billy Hamilton. What a career. I was against, by the way, I was against the uh, the pitch clock too before the season because I still because it's changed. I still I still firmly believe and I and I stand by my point that you shouldn't be making sports about like time. Like you, it's a sport, right? You watch it until it ends. It's just, it's it's just it makes the sport better, right? You don't want to compromise the sport by worrying about how long it takes. It's a sport. You you have fun when you watch it. Saying that, it has made baseball infinitely better. Infinitely, right. and it's not even close. Like when I, when you, it needs to happen in college football too, because I'll be damned if I watch Iowa versus Kentucky or some Iowa versus Wisconsin, and the game's four and a half hours long. 
for a three to nothing game. And it's just, I mean, it's just brutal. College, college football, football is college brutal. football needs to needs to shrink down their product quite a bit. They have quite they, a bit. They have changed that rule, right? The first down rule. Um, the clock's going to keep going after. First oh, really? Downs, I think. Yes. Didn't I know that? That's yes. good. That, that cuts down. I mean, it's, college it's, football until is until long. until the uh, don't hold me to this, but there's a certain point in the game where it reverts back to the old rule. Yes. Okay. Um, Fourth quarter, maybe. I, well, yeah, definitely, definitely the end of each half. I think at the end of each half, basically at the end of the game and right into halftime. Basically, I don't think it's two minutes, but I think it's a little longer than two minutes. Again, someone in the chat probably may know this. Uh, if you do, please please share. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, the clock does stop on first downs at that moment. You, you and I have a, a take about baseball rulings that we're on the same side of. And, and some people have been, um, you know, levying for this, and that's the proximity base rule. You know, you know how many times have you seen, like, replay now that's, that's yeah. been implemented? You know, a guy slides in, he's safe. Correct. Right, and then he pops off, and they put the tag on him. And yep. as he's popping off the bag, his foot comes a, a half inch off. But he beat the throw; he slid in safe. It's just almost semantics that he comes yep. off, and they keep the, the tag. The spirit on. of the game, right? right? It doesn't feel like it's in the spirit of the game. It doesn't feel like he. It really, he, the guy was safe, right? And it, it feels like semantics at that point that that he just kept the tag on him, and, and now we're gonna. It feels like it's almost dangerous to like really have to stress keeping your foot on the, the base. And the other rule that I, I, I say this a lot and people argue with me all the time is if you're watching a high school football or baseball game or whatever and the pitch goes behind the batter and the batter ducks down and the ball hits the bat and it's a foul ball or the ball hits off the knob and it's a foul ball, that feels like it's not in the spirit of the game because it, it, feels, it, it feels like you're, you're not going after the pitch. So how can I foul off a ball that I'm not going after the pitch? I feel like that should just be a ball. Like I, I just feel like that's against the spirit of the game. Uh, those are those are two great points. I think that I never really even considered the whole uh, batted ball. The only thing I could say about the batted ball is that if it goes in fair territory, that's different. So I, I, I'd be, I actually, I'd, I'd be ready to implement that rule change next year. To be honest with you, because at the end of the day. The goal of the game is to try to figure out who's better at what we're trying to accomplish, right. which is baseball. You're right. I mean, it's it is unfortunate that yeah, I guess when you when you got a ball that's sizzling over your head, there's a small chance that it hits that that it nicks your bat. And you know, I'm I'd be I'd be all for that. Um, yeah, the chat the chat is all over your read mouse. They are all over you. For, for podcast form, we're not going to get into it. But uh, but if you're on the YouTube chat, my apologies today. We'll we'll see if we can't do a better job. I can't I can't wait. I thought about this. Tom hasn't been around since since I started being on this show every day wearing short shorts, and I I'll be honest, but most days it's 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 kind of a it's whatever. Today I put on these shorts, and I was like, these guys are a little short. Well, why don't you, why don't you cross your legs? Like like I cross my legs, so nobody needs to see what I got going on down there. Because I you don't cross your legs. I don't just, care. Let's it's see fun. Let's it's just see you cross them. Let's see what it looks like cross. Will you cross them for me? I mean, that's, I'm getting a bad view. I'm getting a bad view. I mean, that was a bad view by me. I mean, that was preposterous. I mean, that was wild. I mean, that was too much thigh, Reed. I mean, that's way too much thigh, brother. Is this better? This is way better. This is, is this way better? better. I mean, I can still, I mean, I, I mean I'm looking on this TV. The, it's still an definition issue. definition on my thigh right here. I mean, you can still see that there's a, a, a significant issue going on here. But, yeah, I listen. Well, by the way, spirit of, uh, against the spirit of the game, a past third strike call. What do you think about that? 
I think that's against the spirit of the game too. When a dude strikes out, a, a dude strikes out on a bouncer, hits the hits, the, gets the backstop, he gets first base. I would argue that that the, the reason to, for that is because every every out in baseball is it, it ends with secure, a, it ends with the secure of a catch. Yeah, you got to secure it as, so, a, as a defensive. So player. if you're not if you're not able to block it, then that's your catcher's fault. Right. So I'm actually okay with that rule because I think it's like there's like this weird uh, there's this weird. Uh, uh, beauty of baseball and everything has to end in a catch or, or secure the ball. Yeah. And uh, I'm okay with the third the third pitch uh, strike. I'm not okay with that in Little League, though. I think that's the dumbest rule in the world. I agree. I mean, come on, man. Little 45 League, feet away. I'll tell you what. Little League has lost their ways. They've lost control of what it's about. It's turned into this ESPN deal with with moving the fences back, trying to you're, – you're, you're pandering to a small percentage of people – that play the game of baseball from 10 to 12 years old. Little League, I'm going to say it again, has lost touch with what it's been about, with what it should be about. Little League should dominate youth athletics. Agree. It should dominate youth athletics. There's no reason you should be traveling all over the place trying to, trying to find games for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. Absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, and 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 I I tell you what maybe maybe this isn't the show for it yada 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 but youth athletics in general has become absolutely atrocious. We've decided to make seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve-year-old kids in their minds think that think that sports are something that they truly aren't. What most people desire. Is, is this elite competition. And maybe if you've never got a taste of that, and I'm not suggesting that I am, I've gotten farther than some, but my point is is that you realize that when you're done with elite-level competition, that in general terms, what you get out of sports is great for you. Maybe you could argue I'd never be the business person I would be if I didn't have to go through the trials and tribulations of what I did from an athletic standpoint. But the truth is, is when you get out of it and you look back, and I didn't take a vacation from the years of, of eight years old all the way up till I was 22 years old. I never went on one family vacation from eight years old until ever. And I look back at that and I think, I just am not doing that with my family. I'm not. I'm going to go on vacation with my kids. Sorry if I miss a week of baseball. I know inevitably, I hate to break it to you, but 98% of those kids, genetics is going to catch up to them. They're not going to be any good because their dad and their mom wasn't any good. And that's the facts of life. Sorry I got on a little rant here about, about youth athletics, well, but nothing pisses me off more than having to see kids. And again, maybe I'm, I'm trying to reel it back in a little bit, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the kids, but giving these kids rings for, for winning a four-game tournament on, a, on, yeah, on, 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 on July 4th, maybe you're saying it's all oh, it's fun and dandy for kids, but you're setting a precedent that sports are something that, that they really aren't about. They should well, be competing with their local buddies around the corner. They should be playing flag football in the local park. They should be playing Little League games against all their friends and not traveling to Tennessee to see who the best eight-year-old team is. Who gives a rat's tail? Because I can tell you right now, there's a bunch of eight-year-olds in Puerto Rico that are better than every goddamn player in Tennessee. <laughs> so if we want to sit here and act like who's the best, you got no clue who the best is. You got no clue. But anyways, we, I digress. We live in a town, Trace. You and I both grew up in a town with a great little league. You know, obviously Hamilton's been associated with baseball forever, and Westside Little League is great. I'm I'm scared about its future. I'm scared that in a decade it's going to be gone. But the the biggest mistake that youth athletics make is these is these parents put their kids or these kids are are really good, and they try to get them with the best team possible. You know they. Kids from Hamilton tra traveling down to Batavia to go play for Midland or, or whatever. That's not 
what youth athletics is about. And I'm talking even 17, 18-year-olds. You should play with your friends. You should play with people that you are close to because at the end of your athletic career, at the end of it all, you very seldomly remember you know, you hitting that ball in the gap against this pitcher that's going to Duke or or you struck out this, this guy that's going to catch for Vanderbilt. You don't remember that. What you remember is when you have a double header in Westchester and you're playing with your 12 best friends and you got two hours between games and you go shit around for two hours. Those are the things you remember. It's the friendship and the fr- and, and, and all those things that come along with, with being close friends. That's what you remember. It's not chasing some dream of, of being the best 15-year-old baseball player or anything like that. It's all for naught. No, and I think it starts – everybody's been saying it in the chat, but – Truly, like this, like I played select soccer for half my life, and the parents for that, it's just brutal, man. They care way too much. They care way too much. And if you have a bad game, you're gonna hear it from like some of, so, so like your your teammates' dad. You're like, you should have been better. I'm like, bro, I'm ten. Let's calm down in a little bit. Little league parents are the same thing in baseball. They're throwing rocks at umpires. Some 17 year old umpire is getting a rock thrown at him because he missed a strike three call. It's like. It needs to be calmed down a little bit. Let's have some fun. I was very lucky for baseball, so I just played for my grade school, Our Lady of the Visitation. Shout out. Uh, no free ads. Um, but it's it's it was a fun time. I played with all my friends. There was no select tournaments for Vizzy Baseball. It was it was it was just a good time. I, now, I did play select soccer, so I traveled for that. We had to travel to Memphis. We traveled all over the country for select soccer. By the way, my team sucked. I traveled all over this country to lose every state. <laughs> I lost in every goddamn state there is. Oh, I, easy, there, easy. There is not a state. Teenager show. Oh, sorry. Gosh darn. I lost in every god. Didn't you drop a GD earlier? You dropped a GD earlier. I didn't say boo. Anyway, I, I, I lost in every state this country has to offer. And I like it's 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 fun. I like playing soccer, but let's not let's not overwork the kids because you think they're Lionel Messi. They're you not. know what it is. Your, your, your a, child is not Lionel Messi. It's as simple as this. A lot of parents perceive some of their worth and some of their social clout. And, and quite frankly, um, they want what's best for their kids. So they overly, they overly think that what they do within an athletic event associates or correlates to, to, the, type of, to, to the type of job that they're doing or the, 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 the social status that they receive from it. And the truth is, is that if you peel back the onion just a little bit here, just a little bit, and you realize as a parent that the way that your kid plays the game, the way that he treats others, the way that he and or she treats the umpires is a much better reflection of their parenting than how well they can hit a baseball I, I, or how well they can shoot a basketball or, or score goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I know this sounds wild, uh, but... My youngest son, I'm not a huge soccer guy, and by soccer, maybe I mean football. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot loves it. I mean, that's so good call. It. I didn't think he'd bring it up again. Good, good call. But here's the thing. He does play, he does, he does play uh, soccer, and I don't love it, right? Um, but the truth is, is that's the sport that I love watching him the most because it's the sport I know, the, I know literally nothing about. And I get to just sit back and be a parent. When I watch my sons play baseball – it's, it's impossible for me not to watch it and just be like, critique, critique, critique. They could do this better, this better, this better. And I try not to obviously overly analyze everything and try to help, help, help. But as a parent, your main objective most more times than not is to try to help your kids. 
And I just think sometimes parents lose sight of that and what's actually beneficial to their kids and helping them. And that's where we're at. I don't think we're going to solve anything. Um, but I, I just, I guess I'm just saying out loud, if, if you have young kids and, and you care about sports, just remember that the most important thing you can do is, is support them and let them have fun. I mean, that's it. I know don't that sounds much, wild. Yeah, don't put too much stress on it. But it is, it is, it is not that important. And at the end of the day, they're probably not going to make it professionally. And I hate to say that some do, some do. Because we watch them every night. I get it. But, you know, for every Bronson Arroyo dad that, that, that has their kids lifting weights when they're 8, 9, 10 years old, there's about 90 of them that are, that are warping their kids' minds and, and making them not feel great. No offense to, to, to Arroyo's dad. Shout out to them. They got to the big leagues, so good, good, give them credit. But um, I wouldn't be taking all that serious. It's 11.27. We're three minutes until the premiere of the match. I think we should talk golf on this show here relatively soon. If you don't like golf, so be it. But if you like the United States of America, there's something called the Ryder Cup. I'd like to make that a point of conversation sometime. Maybe next week. Have you been to a Ryder Cup? I've not. Have I went, you? I have. I, my grandpa, wow. Yeah, my grandpa. How uh, old? I was, it was the 2012 Ryder Cup. It was the, it was the comeback for Europe in Chicago. Um, so it, it, we went to Chicago. We tried, I think it was Medina was the course, I believe. And it was the historic comeback for Europe. But it was, it was one of the coolest things of all time. I mean, it really was. It's, it's, I mean, it's just like every big uh, uh, Olympic thing you could think of. It's USA versus Europe. So you're getting all, all kind of cultures there. And it was fun. It was, it, was, it, was, it was really, really fun. And golf, by the way, if you've never been to a golf match, it is never like – you never have? No. So what you do is you, you basically, it's not like a real, it's not like a, a, a traditional sport where you have a seat, uh, wrap it up. I'm right. Is that what that is? I mean, let's do hand gestures while I'm making a point. Sorry. Points <laughs> over. Points over and I lose. Okay. Sorry. Listen, the premiere Sorry, starts, the starts, the premiere starts, at, 11 starts at 1130. We got to get to it. All right. Casey's telling us to get the hell out of here. It's the first time in the show's history that we had to wrap it up. So be it. That's what it is. That's the deal. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to figure it out. We'll have to figure it out next time. We'll get to Elliot's point tomorrow. Until then, no, watch Elliot play golf. Saturday. Enjoy your Friday no, and weekend, everybody. Love you.